Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host, and uh, this is the monthly CPI report review. I am proud to announce that peak CPI is in. Last month, CPI headline CPI was 8.5%, and this month it was only 8.3% year-on-year. Year. It was expected to be 8.1%, so it was a little bit higher. But Last month, we had a 6.5% year-on-year on core CPI, that's CPI X Food and Energy, and this month it was only 62 It was expected to be 6.0, but so it was a little higher than expected still. Median CPI, the Cleveland Fed's median CPI, which is a better measure of the central tendency, uh, was... Um, 0.54 month-on-month, about 5.2. It's now 5.2 annualized, but obviously 0.54% annualized is to over 6% um, if uh, if that continues. So let's see, in the number this, this month, used cars. We'll always talk about used cars, even though it's a, it's a fairly small proportion of the CPI. It moves around an awful lot, as you know. Uh, used car prices were down slightly, and keep that in mind because we're going to talk about that later. New car inflation was up 1.1% month on month. Um, airfares were up almost 19%. Uh, primary rents, so we have the you know the big pieces are shelters. The primary rents was up 0.56% and 4.8 year on year. Owner's equivalent rent was up 0.46%, 4.8% year on year. And uh, both of those, so primary rents, rent a primary residence, that is if you rent your own apartment, um, that had been a little bit soggy last month. We thought it would rebound, and it did. Uh, and like I said, both of those types of rents are at 4.8% year on year. Baby food was up 3% on the month and 13% year on year. Now, baby food is only 0.04% of the CPI. It doesn't really affect the overall number very much. It's a visceral purchase. If you are buying baby food and you can't find it or you're paying a higher price every month, then you notice it. And so it is likely to have a much bigger weight, at least for some consumers, in their perception of what's going on. And it's one of those things that's, that's for politicians, is a really bad look. Like you can always explain away high gasoline prices, it's Putin's price hike, whatever. Much harder to explain away why you can't get baby food to feed your child. Um, and uh, we'll get later, uh, I'll talk later about some of the, um, you know, the, the, the political viscera, if you will. Um, but, uh, but so baby food. Uh, we had a Slight decline overall in year-on-year core goods. So core goods had been inflating in the in the low teens, um, and it's now only 9.8% year-on-year. On the other hand, core services rose its 4.9% year-on-year. And that's not necessarily good because core goods, um, you know, that's things like used cars, new cars, stuff like that, but it's it's their goods. And so they have tended to be in deflation or, or for a very long period of time. And, and part of the whole transitory argument was that inflation was being driven by goods, things you couldn't acquire because the ports were closed. And so 
you know, even if you didn't buy cars from overseas, some of the parts came from overseas, and so they couldn't make as many as many cars and and so on and so forth, so forth. And uh, but the problem is that, well, and the good news is that as as you know, those supply chains unwrinkle. You know, this number was always going to come down, but also the dollar has been quite strong, and that tends to pressure core goods prices lower. The bad news is that it's passing the baton to core services, and services are much stickier, and incidentally, we don't tend to import very much of it. Uh, It's very hard to argue that Putin had anything to do with services prices, even though obviously there are some transmissions between goods and services and so on, but it's, again, it's not a a great look. Uh, overall, look, 70% of the consumption basket is inflating faster than 4%. That's the highest percentage we've had so far. Uh, you know, more than two, you know, more than two-thirds of the consumption basket inflating more than 4%. Um, and again, so it's not just one thing. It's not something caught up in the ports. It's not attributable to any any single microeconomic effect. It's a macroeconomic effect. It's too much money. Now, Let's go back to used cars. I want to use this as an illustration because, and again, this kind of goes to the politics of all this, but I, I think that the theme this month is that peak inflation means different things to different people. Um, so we'll talk about this in the context of used cars. Okay, the rate of inflation of used cars has come down a lot. At one point, Year-on-year, used-car inflation was over 40%. Now it's down to a tepid 22%. Um, But this month, the price only fell for used cars only fell slightly. Um, So the rate of change is coming down a lot because of these base effects, but the price itself is not falling. And used car inflation, year-on-year inflation, is going to continue to fall over the balance of this year. Used car prices are not. Now, here's where you get into the little problem politically, and I think where some of our leaders are are making a bad mistake in trumpeting peak uh, inflation. Because peak inflation to an economist means the rate of change is going to decline. That inflation is going to go from 8.5% to 8.3% to 8.1% to 7.5% to 7.2% and so on. Okay, that's what peak inflation means. But a consumer who is not an economist hears a promise that, hey, we're past the worst you know, peak inflation, and they hear, oh, prices are going to go back down now once this is all over. And that's wrong. Okay, price level is not going to go back down. Price change will. So it's a mistake of the, le- the price level and the rate of change in the price level. So when we say peak inflation, we mean the rate of change is going to slow. But prices are going to keep going up. And they're keep going to go up, they're going to keep going up from here. But the best that that the we can hope for is that they only go up 2%. But when a consumer hears the leaders telling them that, oh, it's okay, we're that was peak inflation, it's going down now, they think you mean prices. I was talking to somebody the other day who said that you know, she was holding off on buying a used car because she was waiting for the prices to go back down. And while used car prices might drop slightly, they did go up 70%. It wouldn't be surprising to see them go down a little bit. Um, they're not going to go back down to where they were prior to the crisis. 
And as, I, as I've said before, you know, we had a 40%, better than a 40% increase in the money supply and, and actual real growth of, of you know, less than a quarter of that. The difference ends up showing up in prices somehow. And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of what we have to, uh, what, what we're looking at. Um, so I mentioned that peak inflation means different things to economists and to consumers. It means e something even different to me and to other people who are inflation guys. Um, what it means to us is that the pressure has peaked and not necessarily the year-on-year -year number. And so we want to look at, at the month-on-month -month numbers. We want to look at how broad inflation is. And unfortunately, there is no sign yet that we have reached, we have reached peak inflation pressure or certainly – not that it's continuing to increase, but there's no sign yet that it is, is decreasing. Of the last seven core CPIs, six of them have been between 0.5% month-on-month and 0.6%. That's actually quite stable. And unfortunately, those annualized to 6% or 7% year-on-year. And so stability there, it does, that's not a sign that you're diminishing inflationary pressure. If we ebb from 8.5%, but we only go to 6 I think there are an awful lot of people who heard about peak CPI who are going to be very, very disappointed. Um, by the way, one of the reasons that we say 8.5% is going to go down is because we have these comps from last year. And we just rolled off the March comp, which was which – was a 0.85 or something. And next month, the, the comp is, uh, is April 2021, and that was 0.75% uh, on core. And then the next month is May, um, and that's 0.80 on core. But after that, we have a series of three, of three low numbers. So even though we're going to drop, we're likely to have CPI, core CPI drop over the next couple of months, it's then going to go back up. Not probably at 8.5%, but it's not going to just go straight down from here. And that's something to kind of keep in mind is we know as the summer comes on and in the middle of the summer, you're going to start to see numbers that are, you know, where the year on year is going up, not down. And that's going to be disturbing as well. And again, politically, if you're the, the party in power, that's very bad timing. Um, so, we don't see a diminishing of pressure. We do see a peak in the overall year-on-year -year inflation rate, but the, we do not see any peak in prices. Prices are going to continue to rise. Now, let's turn to the Fed because obviously part of this whole question is, you know, what's the Fed going to do? And by the way, what can they do? Um, and the answer is nothing that the Fed does has an impact in the very, very short term. Uh, if the Fed wanted to stop inflation up from being up here, it should have done something about two years ago. Specifically, it should have not squirted unimaginable amounts of money into the system. Uh, so, so if the Fed wants to change inflation now, there's just really nothing they can do. It's going to take time. We have rents are going to stay high for a while. Inflation for the rest of 2022 is going to end up being around 5%, um, Maybe as low as mid fours, and maybe it's up around six, but it's it's not going to be down in the twos and threes. And by the way, it's not going to for twenty twenty three either. So the question is, why does the Fed think that two and a half percent or three percent is the neutral short rate? And we've had a lot of Fed officials, a lot of Fed speakers say that they think that they'll, you know, and if you look at the dot plot, they have a peak uh, in their in the overnight Fed funds rate. 
target of being something like two and three quarters. Now, inflation is at 8.2, 8.3, and it's going to go down to five or six. Why in the world would you think that two and three quarters is a neutral rate? That sounds really crazy. And the answer is because their models say that the underlying impulse from inflation, the fundamental equilibrium of inflation, is 2%. And so therefore, 2.35 or 2.75 is restrictive. The real question then is why in the world does their model say that equilibrium inflation is still 2%, even though we've obviously seen lots and lots of data outside of that, uh, above that range? And, uh, and the answer there is that the models that the Federal Reserve uses um, are models that were built over the last 30 years and trained on data from the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s. And if you designed a model in 2014 and you tested it on the last 25 years of data, and if your model said anything other than inflation would stay low and stable, then you threw away the model. And so there was this selection bias that the only models that showed inert inflation, inflation always being mean reverting to 2%, uh, those were the only models that survived. And, and of course, the upshot is the reason that inflation was inert had nothing what to do with monetary, nothing whatsoever to do with monetary policy over the period. It had to do with a lot of lucky breaks, like globalization and the desire to offshore a lot of domestic production to take advantage of lower cost production overseas. And that was a trend that was already playing itself out, but now is clearly in reverse. And so your model probably did not recognize that that was the reason that you were getting inflation as low as it was. You probably didn't have a variable for globalization in that model. And so that's why that model is not going to work anymore. But it's going to take the econometricians at the Fed a while to realize that their models don't need to merely be recalibrated. They need to be discarded and, re and recreated and rebuilt from scratch with other sorts of variables. Um, and so I think it's going to take a long time for the Fed to come to the realization that equilibrium inflation is no longer 2%. Equilibrium inflation is probably 4 and by the way, that equilibrium might continue to ratchet higher unless the Fed is, is very, very aggressive. And I don't really see that there's a whole lot of chance that they're going to be very, very aggressive. Um, but I, I suppose we will, we will find out. Uh, hopefully we will get awfully lucky. But anyway, the, the key takeaway from this month is that we are past the peak rate of year-on-year -year inflation, but don't confuse a peak in the inflation rate with a peak in prices. Don't confuse levels and changes. And, and even with the inflation rate, keep in mind that it's going down for mechanical reasons. We have not yet seen anything which looks like peak inflation pressure. Uh, and so... The beatings will continue until morale improves. That's all for today's podcast. You can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com or follow me, inflation underscore guy, uh, on Twitter. You can download the Inflation Guy mobile app from your app store. Um, my blog is mikeashton.wordpress.com and 
course, my company is Enduring Investments. That's EnduringInvestments.com. But even more important than writing, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy. <laughs>